the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. So I also have three law degrees, a JD and a couple of master's degrees. One is a Master of the Laws of Taxation Law and the other is a Master of the Laws of Intellectual Property Laws. Now, both of my great master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, located in beautiful downtown San Francisco. Now, because of my training, my experiences, my lifelong interests in business and economics, and the role that business and economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And as I've shared with you before, I sometimes have the opportunity in my practice to at least seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves facing uh, more and more pernicious forms of financial elder abuse each and every day. So I'm coming to you again from my continued voluntary lockdown in my makeshift studios in my home in another great world-class city. That is to say, the always beautiful Oakland, California. And I come to you to discuss some of the key financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. But again, I must preface my remarks by saying that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I being an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored for your specific set of facts and circumstances, and hopefully I can just provide you with an overview and outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help. Again, I believe that you should at least talk to a lawyer or a professional financial advisor or someone who can help you with your issue, because if you're going to court and representing yourself without a well-grounded understanding of what your opponent knows about your case that you don't, it's like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. And as we know, Shane didn't take a butter knife to the gunfight with the bad guys. And I don't want you to be 
dead on arrival. That is to say, to have your valid claim or your righteous defenses see the promised land way before you do. So in case you haven't got, guessed it, the purpose of this show, Selwyn's Law, is to give you an overview and discuss some of the legal issues confronting all of us as we run out of money and finances in this terrible environment that we find ourselves in because of COVID and the economic downturn that has resulted. As such, many of us really need to know how to stretch those dollars, stretch those pennies, and what it is that we need to consider to protect our or our families and or our small business and our employees' financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening forum. Now, first off, before we get into our subject uh, matter today, I want to thank you. I've heard from so many of you in the last few weeks, and so I want to thank you for reaching out to me uh, and wishing me well and asking me some very good and interesting questions, including this one. Why is the stock market going up when the economy is so bad? Well, the quick answer is because the economy and the stock market are bifurcated. They're divergent. And the stock market looks forward and the overall economy looks backward. And free market underwrites the stock market based on the anticipated future returns of companies that are listed in the stock market. While monetary policy from the Federal Reserve Board, along with fiscal policy of Congress, purportedly looks to underwrite and stabilize our economy, and sometimes that don't work. Another great question I got was, can the government force me to take the COVID-19 vaccine if I don't believe it's safe because they appear to be rushing it through for political reasons or maybe because my religion tells me I can't take inoculations. Well, the, answer, the short answer to that question is maybe and maybe not. You are supposed to have control over your body, but I read a case that one of my researchers helped me find uh, back when there was a smallpox plague, the government made people, some people who refused to take it. So the answer is, I don't know, but I want you to know this. We will be doing future shows on the stock market and the COVID-19 and how it intersects with our individual constitutional rights and maybe our right to religion. But those are for future shows. But I just want to thank you for reaching out to me. Please know if I don't get back to you right away, it's because I get now get hundreds of emails and I read every one of them, but sometimes I can't respond. But I'm getting some really great suggestions on shows and I take them to heart. So with that said, we're going to continue our discussion of entrepreneurship, which we've been discussing in the last few weeks. And the focus of these shows is to distinguish between the two types of reorganization bankruptcy that people want to use. Now, you can liquidate, but we're talking about hopefully there's a chance to save or salvage your business, and how do you go about doing that under the protection of the bankruptcy court? Well, the two primary ways are a Chapter 13 for an individual who's a sole proprietor, more than likely, and 
you, um, it is also a chapter 11 that can be used for small businesses if they're over the debt limits or if they're non-human being individuals. And so we've been going through uh, some of the key issues and um, why I even have this information is this is what I used to teach myself about bankruptcy uh, when I stopped focusing on insurance as my primary error of practice because one of my friends had filed for bankruptcy and um, I ran into her in the grocery store one day and she was looking like somebody had force fed her something that doesn't taste too good and I I made her tell me what was wrong and she told me she ended up having to file for bankruptcy on her own and her case was going to be dismissed. And um, I said, well, you know, I'm a lawyer. And she said, yeah, but you're not a bankruptcy lawyer. She says, well, you know, I'm a lawyer, you know, kind of smart. So to make a long story short, um, I told my employer, because I was working for an insurance company, that I needed to take the week off to learn about bankruptcy to help my friend and my boss said, fine. <laughs> you know, if I didn't, you know, I wasn't, no, not that I'm a spoiled brat, but I generally, when I get this seriousness about me, my employers and the men in my life in general know that I'm serious and in general, let me do what I need to do. So I took a week off and I learned about bankruptcy and I was able to help my uh, friend stay in bankruptcy and you should have seen the smile on her face. It lit up the entire room. And that told me that this bankruptcy stuff was much more interesting than denying insurance claims. So I went about learning about bankruptcy. And it is fascinating because every other kind of law intersects with bankruptcy. And if you can help somebody save their business and help them you know, generate income to keep a roof over their children's heads and put food on the table and keep as many of their employees as possible. This is God's work. And that's why I like it so much. So we're going to continue our discussion of the difference between chapter 13, and chapter 11. Uh, the first time we got together, we talked about the eligibility requirements for each what the debtor must undertake to get her case voluntarily dismissed if you find she's in the wrong area, uh, how each type of case is administered, and, and the role that the U.S. trustee plays in it. And the last time we were together, we looked at how you can hire attorneys and what they have to go through. And we looked at um, how each of the different kinds of bankruptcies interface with the United States trustee. And we looked at, say, in a Chapter 13, there is an independent trustee who's been um, selected by the Department of Justice. And in a Chapter 11, initially, the debtor becomes a debtor in possession and takes on many of the roles of the trustee unless and until she's found to have breached her fiduciary duty to her creditors via some act of fraud or dishonesty or incompetence or gross mismanagement of the bankruptcy estate. Again, the bankruptcy estate is created once the debtor files. And, you know, if you're found, if you're doing something hinky in bankruptcy, somebody's going to find out, especially if you're doing a chapter 11, because the Department of Justice will assign an attorney to your case, and he or she will be there to protect the integrity of the process, and he or she will be asked to weigh in at each of the key stages of your case. 
So when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion of some of the key legal issues a small business owner needs to think about when she is trying to save her small business. And we're going to distinguish between Chapter 13 and Chapter 11. And then when we conclude, hopefully beginning next week, we're going to look at the new kid on the block, the sub-Chapter 5, Chapter 11. But first, we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As we continue our discussion of some of the key issues you need to consider when trying to save your distressed business. That is to say, what you need to consider between a chapter 13 versus a regular chapter 11, as opposed to the subchapter 5 that we'll talk about later. Now, the difference between a chapter 13 and an individual slash small business bankruptcy under chapter 11. Uh, the next area we're going to look at are scheduling claims. So a claim is what your creditors believe you owe them. So it's a right to a payment that might be liquidated. That is to say it has a finite number or it might be unliquidated. It might be a claim via a lawsuit that has not been ultimately settled. So in a chapter 13, they you have to list your creditors and you have three main types of creditors. You have those who have secured a secured interest in uh, some of your assets, say it's your car or it's your home and there's a security interest. So they go on schedule D. Then you have priority general unsecured creditors. And those would be, for example, if you owe the Internal Revenue Service or you owe the Franchise Tax Board, or if you're listening uh, to me from another state, uh, your particular state's uh, state income tax, or it might be a payroll tax. So those are priority debts and they have to be paid uh, while uh, you are in the bankruptcy. Now, there's a claims bar date in a Chapter 13, and you list the claims, but they, they're they really uh, there as a holding function and also to give notice to uh, your creditors or uh, potential creditors because they, they're mailed a notice by the bankruptcy court. However, the amount that's paid to them is dependent upon whether or not they actually file a claims form in your bankruptcy case. And there is a bar date after which their claims are ignored because in a 13, the claims bar date is strictly construed. Now that might be good if it's an unsecured creditor that forgets to uh, file a claim or files it uh, untimely because it's ignored by the chapter 13 trustee who's responsible for giving a list. But say you want to pay a claim and they miss the bar date. Maybe you want to pay a claim, say your um, student loan debt, uh, that you can't uh, get discharged uh, unless you go through another separate lawsuit. And you want to pay that or you want to pay the amount that you owe on your mortgage that you for, um, were unable to pay. You get an additional 30 days to file a claim on their behalf so they can get a distribution. So the claims in um, Chapter 
13 and the claims bar date are very important and you have to pay attention. Now, in a chapter 11, scheduling the creditor on Schedule D, that is to say secured debt, E, priority debt, and F, they act as the equivalent of the creditor filing a proof of claim. So you want to make sure that you list all of your creditors if you're in a Chapter 11, a small business Chapter 11 and the like, because you don't want to come back on you that you were maybe playing fast and loose with the truth. And so you schedule your um, um, creditors and you want to get as close to the amount that you owe because you want to make sure that they get what they're due in your bankruptcy. So if scheduling um, as non-contingent, undisputed, and liquidated, the claim is deemed to be allowed in the amount scheduled. So non-contingent. So reverse it, that is a contingent. So if you list it as a contingent debt, that means that you might not have the exact amount and, and, and you won't be sent to the corner for not having the exact amount. Also, you can dispute claims, but you want to list them anyway, and maybe you want to litigate that disputed claim as part of your bankruptcy case. And liquidated is where it is an, an actual finite number, okay? Now, late file claims may be allowed in a Chapter 11 if the creditor can show that she missed the bar date that would be developed by the court because of inadvertent mistake, carelessness, or basically excusable neglect. So that's the difference between a 13 and an 11. And a 13, the claims bar date is strictly construed. And in an 11, if for some reason uh, a creditor uh, missed the bar date and it was excusable neglect, they can file a late file claim and have it paid over the course of the Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Now, the next major hurdle in a bankruptcy is a reorganization bankruptcy as opposed to a liquidation bankruptcy is a plan. What is your plan to reorganize your debt such that you can pay it out over the course of the plan? Now, in Chapter 13, um, the plan can be no more than 60 months initially However, there might be some fudge room at the end of it where you might be able to modify to push it out on another three to six months, depending on the court. However, the plan in a 13 must be filed within 14 days of filing the bankruptcy. So that means that you and your lawyer have to have already thought this through because I generally like to file my plan at the same time as I file the case because, you know, things fall through the cracks and people get sick and you don't want to miss that 14 days. So, you know, you need to know what you're doing when you go into bankruptcy in a 13. Now, a 13, only the debtor can file the plan. And uh, most uh, jurisdictions have their own form plan that you need to complete. Uh, and sometimes I, I, I have a, a, an issue with that because I use some software that I find to be very good and it might look a little bit slightly different than the plan in the district where I want to file the case. But at any rate, you need to use that plan uh, to, uh, that the district controls uh, unless you want to deal with heartburn. And I generally don't like to have heartburn in my legal work. There's enough heartburn just 
being out there. Again, a chapter 13 cannot run for more than 60 months, although you might be able to push it over a little bit if needs be. Now, in a chapter 11, there is no deadline per se for filing a plan. However, the court or other interested parties may push the debtor to file if the case appears to be languishing. File the case, go on vacation, I'll see you later, I'll do this when I get back. Nah, that's not going to fly. Your creditors want to get paid, and if you are uh, fiddling around there, you you might find a motion uh, to uh, push you towards uh, filing the plan on the fear of having your case converted to a Chapter 7 liquidation case where you lose control and a Chapter 7 trustee comes in or the court allowing the case to be dismissed. Um, Also, initially in a Chapter 11, small business or otherwise bankruptcy, the debtor has an exclusivity, (laughs) I can't talk, my mouth isn't working, exclusivity, period. That means where they have the exclusive right to file a plan. And if you mess around, you might find that that period has lapsed and one of your creditors can file a plan. And if he or she can get that plan approved, you're going to be out of luck. And that's not the complete statement. Uh, Okay. Uh, There must be a disclosure statement in a chapter 11. And that statement should contain adequate information about the plan that, and its information contained therein is the kind that's sufficient in details as far as reasonably practical in light of the nature and history of the debtor and the condition of the debtor's books and records that would enable a hypothetical, reasonable investor uh, an opportunity to or understand what it is that you're trying to do. And um, also, your creditors get to vote on the plan. So it's kind of like a disclosure statement, a, a, a stock disclosure statement, such that your creditors can understand what it is you're trying to do because you want to get at least one class of your creditors to vote for the plan. So it has to be in English and also has to follow uh, legal legal strictures. Okay. There is no maximum time frame for a plan to be completed in a chapter 11, except that priority tax claims must be paid in full within 60 months of filing the case, not filing the plan. And also uh, other priority debts such as Domestic support obligations must be paid in full on the effective date of the plan. Now, I got to tell you, I've seen some of this priority debt to taxing authorities be allowed to pass muster. But I'm telling you, going in, it's likely not going to be the case. So discharge, that's what a human being wants in a bankruptcy. And in a Chapter 13, the debtor gets a discharge. If she completes her plan and completes a financial management course, the debtor may also apply for a hardship discharge, but she has to have paid at least what her creditors would have received in a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. And in 11, an individual can get a discharge after uh, he or she completes the plan and a financial management course. Also, a Chapter 11 individual can apply for a hardship discharge, but corporate debtors don't get a discharge, okay? 
There's all kinds of issues that you need to consider before you file for bankruptcy. You and your wise lawyer will talk those through. And there also might be some things that you need to do after you file, like stripping off liens and dealing with creditors who took advantage of you. You might want to sue them to bring that money back. So there's also all kinds of confirmation issues that you need to consider before the plan is confirmed. And after you get confirmation, uh, you might need to modify the plan, seek out a hardship discharge, or you might just want to dismiss the case and start all over again. And both of the kinds of bankruptcies we discussed, there is an allowance for those things, including converting to a seven. So we're going to leave it there for now. Uh, uh, we will conclude our overview of small business bankruptcy by looking at the new kid on the block. That is to say the subchapter five, chapter 11, the next time we get together. But as always in closing, I like to say here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the law that can help us stabilize or reinvigorate our businesses. Till next time, take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.